Good day, everyone. I'm your host, James Hicks, here from Hicks New Media. Welcome to Perspectives and Focus, where we focus and highlight the people, industries, ideas, and technology that is making positive strides within society. Today's guest, I have the team from Basile Law Firm that represents both private and public companies in complex financial and securities litigation situations, everything from Convertible notes and merchant funding litigation, SEC dealer registration violations, securities fraud, and federal and state RICO violations. This team is one of the best in the business, and the folks I got behind the scenes right now are, are proof of that. I also have Mr. Dennis O'Leary, who is the founder of Dark Pulse, a Scottsdale, Arizona-based technology startup that is focused on the manufacture, sale, installation, and monitoring of laser sensing systems based on its patented Botna Dark Pulse Sensor Technology. I even know what Botna stands for, Brilliant Optical Time Domain Analysis. Hopefully I gained a couple of cool points. I'm looking at him, he's smiling in the back of the room, so <laughs> hopefully that's good stuff. I've got an interesting connection with one of his projects that we're going to bring him on so we can talk about that. Ladies and gentlemen, first and foremost, let me bring all of my guests so we can say hello. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Welcome to Perspectives and Focus. How you doing, James? Thank you. Good to be here. Fantastic. Hi, fantastic. This, this is a, a stellar panel that we have here. Mr. O'Leary, of course, having a little bit of internet connection issues because you're, you're dialing in from not Arizona. Not New Jersey, not New York. Where, you're, you're dialing in from where, sir? I am in Cairo, Egypt. Right. right. And, you know, I made the joke behind the scenes during the pre-show about that, that's definitely not Ikea furniture behind him there. Late, ladies and gentlemen, again, Mr. O'Leary is in, in Cairo. So thank you, sir, for the time. Thank you for joining us. Mr. Basile, yourself, the, the man on the moniker, it is great to see you, sir. How are you today? Uh, good. A little tired. We just had a full day here in New York, but um, we're going to go. Fantastic. Fantastic. And, and Gus, we've been doing this. Look, look, this is an old hat for us and pleasure to have you on as well. Let me again, I, I think there's no better way than have the folks tell their own origin story. So let, let's start with with you, Mr. Basile. If you could just tell the folks again who you are and what it is that you do, that, that'd be greatly appreciated. Um, well, it really depends who you ask. I can only tell you what I think we do. Um uh, I've been a lawyer for 34 years. Uh, I've also taught law at a law school. Um, I've had two public companies myself. Um, I have dealt with um, funding instruments that tend to ruin shareholder value, uh, kind of learned the hard way um, directly, uh, able to extricate ourselves out of that. Um, I decided to focus on uh, finance law uh, that deals with public company funding. Uh, during my tenure as the CEO of two public companies, uh, raised close to half, uh, 100, $100 million, um, made innovative products that ended up at Honeywell and Home Depot, um, Master Lock, um, dealing with fingerprint and biometric technology. Uh, then I retired and uh, Friends of mine who were CEOs of other public companies were asking me for advice because they knew I was an attorney and I also stood in their shoes. So I, I came from the um, unique vantage point of having both 
been the CEO of public companies and dealing with all of the various funding, presentation, Wall Street and shareholder issues, uh, as well as all the legal issues um, from a legal standpoint, dealing with contracts, compliance. I dealt with dozens of securities attorneys, PC, AOB audit firms. Um, I've even spoken at the accounting and finance show, uh, putting on seminars for uh, certified CPAs, as well as PC, AOB audits uh, companies. Um, and my dad actually started the practice in 1968. He was a tax attorney. Um, I didn't like numbers, so I didn't go into accounting. So uh, I decided to go into law um, and I decided not to do tax law, but I did uh, secure transactions, uh, commercial litigation uh, out of law school. I worked for one of the largest law firms in the world called Shane Gould. Uh, then I got burned out in about a year and a half. I ended up on Long Island with a small firm. And then my dad just basically said, after a couple of years, why don't you join our firm? I joined the firm. Uh, he was he was on his way towards retirement. And I just decided, you know, um, I was going to speak for the people who can't speak for themselves, mm. uh, speak for the CEOs who were kind of caught up and taken off guard uh, by some of the deals that they've taken. Um, a lot of them out of desperation, mind you. Um, but the type of deals uh, they were taking was like crack cocaine. It came fast, they, they closed in two days, they got hooked on it, it was easy money. Um, little did they know, it really came down to, to trading volume and stock price. And whether or not six months down the line, the lender can get out by converting it into stock. And we'll talk about all that crazy nonsense later. Um, but I had my friends coming to me, uh, asking me if I can help them. Uh, so uh, I was involved in a couple of uh, high-profile New York Stock Exchange and NASDAQ uh, company uh, raises and IPOs. Um, and I just felt that, you know, the consulting led to joining my father's firm and, you know, taking, you know, taking the, um, the issues of uh, bad financing deals. Um, and I guess we started making a name for ourselves uh, we used to defend lawsuits brought by toxic lenders on behalf of public company issuers. Uh, and the tide has changed in the last couple of years. And now the issuers are kind of taking it to the streets themselves to try to get back their shareholders stock or cash value of the stock that may have been unlawfully taken through their transactions. Um, so it's just, I, I built the firm uh, from the ground up at this point, uh, we just added a Florida litigator uh, mm. named Tisha Powell. Uh, she joined the firm. She's going to be running our Naples, Florida office. Um, Gus, uh, I knew Gus. He, can I say you were in my law school class, Gus? Uh, Gus yeah, I mean, I, I, I've actually been waiting for it. I was going to be a little offended if you didn't mention it. So okay, yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, um, I'm still holding back your check for one more week. You know why? So, um, so, so in any event, Gus, Gus was one of my star students, and uh, when he graduated, uh, I forget. I think I reached out to you, and uh, asked him to come join the firm. Uh, Gun is Gus has been a uh, a, a complete star uh, with our firm. Our clients love him. He got up to speed within a year. He really knows this stuff 
inside and out. A little scary because he may know some of the stuff better than I do. Wow. Um, we also have Eric Benzenberg, uh, uh, a tremendous um, uh, securities litigator. Uh, he's uh, senior counsel here with our firm. Uh, just hired my son, Chris, who uh, recently passed the bar and was recently admitted. Um, and uh, we have uh, our Texas attorney, Tyler Berger, uh, who runs our Dallas, Texas office. Um, and everybody is, 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 uh, is kind of focused on trying to help small public companies right the ship. And it's very important because as, as all your viewers know, uh, it's the, the OTC marketplace, there, there, there's an opportunity to make a lot of money. There's also a lot of opportunity to lose a lot of money. And I guess we'll talk a little bit later about um, all those things. But, you know, as far as the firm is concerned, right now we represent, uh, I think, 41 public companies in various aspects of litigation, uh, mostly uh, centering around toxic debt litigation. Uh, there, we have a couple of shareholder dispute uh, litigations. Um, we're also working with an outside group uh, to identify uh, fraudulent, misleading, uh, inappropriate uh, Twitter posts and social media posts that wow. are designed to, yeah, that are designed to scare, you know, normal shareholders out of their stock or, or uh, the effect of uh, possibly hurting the company. Uh, we, uh, we're also conducting in-house investigations uh, regarding to uh, other companies and their stock performance based upon public filings, social media posts, and what have you. Um, we're not crusaders. Uh, we're attorneys. You know, um, you know, we, we, we leave the office. We all have our, our own lives and stuff. But we're in the office. There's a lot of camaraderie amongst the attorneys uh, with regard to our mission. And that's to represent our clients zealously, do what we can to, to straighten out bad financing deals, mm. and then kind of clean them up, hopefully that then they can go out and raise clean capital and maybe uplist to a national exchange. And we've had a couple of companies to do that already. So that's kind of like... Um, it's like a, re a reward for us that if we're able through litigation or the other half of our firm that does public company restructurings um, to clean them up, clean up their, their cap table, clean up their balance sheet, make them a presentable uh, uh, company for clean funding that will help either with acquisitions or acquisitions with a simultaneous listing on a national exchange. I mean, that's our, that's our main goal. Um, we want to see the company succeed. Uh, we work intimately, and you'll see, you know, later on, Dennis and I will have some conversations online for your audience uh, to talk about our relationship and how that started. Um, but, but I have to tell you that uh, we're, we're fairly happy with all of the CEOs and all of the public companies we represent. They have a similar mindset to Dennis. Uh, Dennis is one of the more active ones um, and very aggressive, um, as he should be. So awesome. that's basically us in a nutshell. Awesome. Appreciate that. And look, I'd be remiss if I didn't say thank you, sir, because I, I know you rarely come and, and do interviews such as this. So you, you being able yeah. to carve some of your time out and give that backstory, right? And give some of that yeah. for, for everyone listening and watching. Really appreciate you on, on that. Gus Passanante, talk to us, man. How, it's going to be hard to follow that up, right? But what, what's a day in the life for you as, as you sit there and, and represent uh, clients within your portfolio, sir? Um, I mean, I don't know what, uh, what else I could say to add on to that, but, um, 
Usually I'll wake up to a few emails from Dennis asking me to do something that uh, seems next to impossible. No, I'm just kidding. It's not that bad. <laughs> um, but uh, it, it's it's mostly like that. You know, we have, we have, a lot of our clients are just like Dennis. They got into these deals and um, they come to us to do something about it. Um, some more aggressive than others. Uh, like Mark said, Dennis is one of our more aggressive and, and just as he should be, especially as the tides are turning. Uh, like Mark said, in, in the last couple of years, things have really started going our way, um, especially in the dealer registration aspect. And um, in terms of a, a lot of this toxic financing and these convertible notes. So when uh you know when, when we get retained we analyze whatever position our clients in whether it be in a defensive posture if they got you know uh if they got sued or if we're going to be in a more offensive posture and we can kind of create the narrative and, and tell the story in our in our initial pleading um obviously analyze within that within that complaint or within that initial filing we're going to analyze the position that our company that the, our clients in whether they issued 5 billion shares or 100 million shares or whatever it may be and analyze the value of those shares and, and figure out what, uh, what we can do to put, make sure that they're in the best position to either defend themselves or be, in, be, in the off, be on offense and, and try and take, take back what's theirs, you know, like how we are in, in a lot of cases that we have with Dennis. And, um, and I don't want to get too much into it because I'm going to, I'm going to, I want to show everyone how to use Edgar and kind of like what I, what I really do every, every single day and kind of be in the, in the trenches. And no I, mentioned, uh, I mentioned Mike Rowe and Dirty Jobs. I mean, this is pretty much my version of it that I'm going to show you guys later. So, I love it. Uh, but yeah, that, that's, uh, that's more or less what we do. I appreciate it. Appreciate it. Dennis O'Leary, you, you, you are out here doing the good work. Saved you for last because really would like it at this point, if you could tell folks who may not know the Dennis O'Leary story, tell them who you are, what it is that you do, why you're in Cairo, which, which is again, just as I was doing my research, the, the stuff that you're doing is fascinating. And then as you're talking about your real time, 3d internal and external graphic, I'm not even going to try it. Right. I, I want, it's going to come better coming, coming from you. And if you don't mind telling us about what dark pulse is sir. Yeah, so um, I, I always kind of been a tech geek and um, won every science award from second grade <laughs> right through high school. And um, anyway, the way I came across um, Dark Pulse, um, I, I was actually asked to go to a cross border, um, I guess, conference. Uh, it was uh, between Canada and the United States, it was uh, up in Chicago. And just to give you a a hint at, uh, at fate and uh, how the planets align sometimes. I, I almost didn't go. And the only reason why I did go is the group that was sending me. Um, actually, I paid for my flight in my, in my uh, hotel room. So I thought, okay, I better go. And uh, I ended up meeting the tech transfer officer uh, from uh, a Canadian university called University of New Brunswick. And um, <clears throat> they actually uh, showcased about a dozen technologies for me. And uh, Dark Pulse was one of the few that stood out and um, negotiated and purchased the patents and um, basically spun it out of the University of New Brunswick, called the company Dark Pulse um, because the patent was on a dark pulsing technique on late sensing and, um, you know, kind of took it from there. 
So Second that's the pill. history. No, I didn't want to go too too heavy. <laughs> no, listen, look, we, we can peel back the onion and we can go from a one on one to a two on one, three on one layer type of conversation. I, I want to talk a little bit about some of the terms that you're using, the speed of dart. I want to talk to you a little bit about the 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 Batman vision. I, I want to talk about the, the, the smart bridges, because one of the bridges that you've actually sm- integrated into made smart the world's first smart bridge in Marysville. I pass that bridge. My, my family passes that bridge every weekend. My kids are actually going over that bridge tonight on their way to Orville to our family cabin. So that's how I have an intimate relationship just with what you've done. Talk a little bit about that technology that you put into some of these infrastructure pieces. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, so again, it's this dark pulsing technique. Um, I can tell you the difference in terms of distributed fiber sensors. Um, there's, bright pulsing and then ours, dark pulsing. Both techniques have been around for a number of years. Um, the difference between us and the other techniques uh, is the resolutions. Uh, and it's in meters, unfortunately. So typically it's one meter resolution that basically means anything less than a meter in, in area is generally not gonna be detected by that system. <clears throat> Whereas with us, we've gone our resolutions as low as 10 millimeters. Thing. So very high, high resolutions. Uh, and um, in terms of getting to the bridge, uh, you know, it's just multiple field trials over the last 10 years. And um, uh, I was tweeting on Twitter, of course, <clears throat> and somebody from Caltrans actually saw the tweet and uh, reached out by email. And uh, we negotiated uh, this pilot project. And um, how I got to Marysville, rather than wait the nine months for California to actually fund um, the pilot project, I decided, well, what if we pay for that pilot project? You know, can we sort of accelerate this? And the answer was yes. And we were given the Marysville project because it was already had begun. Okay. Uh, and uh, so we're actually deploying into there at, at no charge, you know, but of course, you know, once we're alive, um, you know, there's monitoring that will kind of recover the, uh, the initial investment. So, it was just getting the first one out there because every time you go into a business meeting, what's the first thing they say? How many of these have you sold? Yeah, and exactly. So we can actually move to California, right? Fantastic. Uh, so that's how we ended up in Marysville. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, again, as I was doing my research and, and when, I, when I saw that, when I saw the news clippings from KCRA3, when I saw them from Fox, I said, listen, my, my son and daughter are going to be crossing that bridge in about four hours. So uh, I, I've got my, uh, my siblings and, and, and my, uh, my, my children in, in your capable hands. Appreciate that. Uh, let, let's, let's now talk a little bit about, I guess, the relationship between Basile, Dark Pulse, you know, and then why that matters and kind of back to the subject matter of today's conversation, why it really... Uh, having proper representation is, is critical and is important. I guess some of the stories and behind the scenes then is that you, you and Mark have gone through, you, Mark and Gus have gone through. If you don't mind delving into some of that. And yes, folks, I, I, I see folks in the comments talking about the, the internet connection. Listen again, the man is, is 5,000 miles away. He, it, it, he's got dogs barking in the background, but that is the beauty of live streaming. We're bringing it to you. This is what we do. Take, take it and love it and enjoy it. So uh, uh, that being said, I'll, I'm going to let you two just inter- interject and go again about the, the value of working together and what, what that's brought you, Dennis, and from, to your company. Yeah, I mean, Mark mentioned it earlier, um, sort of falling into the trap 
of uh, toxic convertible notes <clears throat> uh, for me. Yeah, I, I started with the wrong team. I've said it multiple times, um, and the bulk of what was brought in was by the original team that came into Dark Pulse. And, um, you know, it got us in the debt spiral. We were down to no bid on that stock. Mm. And <clears throat> for me, rather than do a reverse split, I actually started funding the company myself to about 117000 Uh And that kept us alive and really got us, a, you know, the time to turn the company around. Uh, and then, of course, you know, from there, it just, it's, it's, I mean, it's had its up and downs in terms of stock price, but in terms of the growth of the company, it's just been phenomenal over the last, you know, 14, 15 months. Uh, so, but, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate. Most companies that get into that death spiral, they call it, there's a good reason they call it a death spiral. They don't recover. And here we are. Um, we're in 10 countries now. There's seven companies, uh, you know, after a series of acquisitions, we just announced that we're, um, you know, we, we hired our EIIP out of uh, Houston uh, to help us with another acquisition. So really just a phenomenal change from where we were, you know, just over a year ago. I was going to say, and Mark, I guess, you know, where, where did your team interject to, to help Dennis get to the light? Right. He's focused on the dark. But how, how did you help him, I guess, you know, get to the light and get to a better state of being for himself, the company and, and possibly even for, for the shareholders? Yeah, well, um, I, th I think, Dennis, we go back a year and a half, two years. And when when Dennis and I first had a conversation, um, he was introduced to me through another attorney. Mm. And <clears throat> the conversation went something like this. Um, I've got these people bothering me. They're convertible note holders. Our stock isn't doing well. I have a lot of good things on the horizon. And we discussed about those things. Um, Dennis explained to me some of the things he had in the works. You know, I, had, I had to make an evaluation for ourselves whether or not this is a real company. It's not that they took toxic loans and flew to Hawaii and, and took the office staff for you know, a month vacation there. I mean, you know, he, hearing that Dennis was forced to fund the company himself personally going through the history of uh, the original management team, uh, the, um, the, the problems uh, that Dark Pulse is now experiencing or has experienced in the last year and a half, two years, uh, because of some of the decisions and some other events that transpired with that prior team. Um, uh, he asked us to take a look uh, at all of, all of the debt that's on the books. And this, this allowed us to look at, you know, eight or nine different convertible notes with six or seven different lenders. Uh, we did ca internal calculations on, you know, if they all converted out over a hundred, you know, an, an 18 month period starting in 180, you know, 180 days, um, what, what's the company's outstanding stock gonna look like at that point? And knowing that the damage, what these convertible note fixed percentage discounts are to the market price of the stock at the time of these conversions and how I've seen it not only in, in my companies, but my friends' companies and my clients' companies, how you can easily have a $3 stock and six to nine months later, you could be trading sub-penny, especially if you have four or five of these guys all converting and hitting in the market at the same time, trying to jump in front of each other. It does nothing but drive the price down. And a lot of your viewers um, a lot of the, uh, the, the retail traders are really good at, at looking at trends and 
um, identifying dips and, and, and peaks with regard to the trading patterns of a stock. But the more important thing is, is to identify the problems that a company may have before it affects your holdings. And that's something Gus will talk about with you, know, with you James, a little later about how to use Edgar and how to read a company's filings and to see what's coming down the pike, both you know, from the business standpoint and from the stock play standpoint mm -hmm. as well. Because that's really, really critical. A lot of people don't put two and two together. So when we looked at <clears throat> Dennis's um, transaction documents, some of the prior history, just some of the deals, they were just so onerous. Um, you know, we, we had a feeling that some of the transactions violated certain state usury laws. Some of the transactions may have violated uh, securities laws, uh, federal securities laws regarding uh, dealer registration or uh, securities fraud under 10B, uh, material misrepresentations or omissions in the transaction documents. And, uh, you know, and, it's, and I don't think it's really, unless the CEO is taking these toxic loans again, and is and going on these trips and buying Ferraris and stuff. I don't think any of these 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 legitimate CEOs really understand the long term effects of these types of transactions. Mm. Whether it's a convertible note, it's an equity line of credit, which excuse the language, but it's that that's just bullshit. There is no equity line of credit. Nobody's giving you ten million dollars up front that you can draw off of. They're using your stock every time you need money. You put a put in an equity line of credit, they get the stock, they sell it, they take their discount, and they give the company back whatever the balance of the funds are. Usually, again, sort of mimicking in reverse a convertible note. Then you have these ridiculous new forms of agreements, these equity, the preferred equity um, purchase deals that, that, that are really disguised convertible notes. It's just almost the identical terms. I think I, I blogged an article from our website comparing the, the new type of lending instrument and, and what a bunch of crap that is. Mm. Now, I'm trying to alert the CEOs that, hey, get your heads out of your asses. You know, you, you may have taken bad deals and you've got a lot of shareholders to stand up for. Um, and you may have a fiduciary duty to, you know, to stand up for your shareholders and, and try to claw back the stock. Imagine billions and billions of shares on the OTC market that have been distributed. If you look at any of the um, public uh, PACER, the federal government online court filings, and you look at some of these SEC actions against some of these toxic convertible note lenders, and you will see tens of billions of shares that they alone were able to convert over you know, uh, a one to three year period. I mean, you know how much tens of millions of dollars that represents that they've taken out of the market just on one issuer? It's unbelievable. So, um, you know, after reviewing Dennis's books, I sat down, we sat down with Dennis. And we said, Dennis, here's what you have going on. Here's the law regarding this transaction. Here's the law that we see it regarding this transaction. This one may be a little shaky, but if you're willing to, to go forward, we have a good faith basis to do it. We have other case law that says we were right um, or, we, or we have a pathway uh, to litigate. And you know what? Dennis was not afraid to pull the trigger. I mean, look, there are CEOs who know right now that they have loans on their books that are convertible toxic debt that's going to hurt their shareholders. Yeah. It's not that they don't care about their shareholders. What, what they do, though, is they care about the longevity of the company. And again, 
Convertible note money is like crack cocaine. You get a little bit from one, they come back to you in a month or two, hey, you want another $35,000, $40,000? Yeah, because now you know they can wire to you in 48 hours and you have more money to play with. The problem is, but this was not in Dennis's case, but a lot of other CEOs, what they'll do is they'll try to borrow from Peter to pay Paul. So what I mean is you take a convertible note for $100,000. In five months, you start panicking because in a month from that point, they're going to come into the market and they're going to destroy your stock. They're going to do it piecemeal in tranches. Like every couple of days, they'll convert more and more, drive your price down, get that discount over the then market price and continue to sell until there's, there's basically nothing else left, right? They have all sorts of bullshit default provisions mm -hmm. and and onerous, unconscionable other terms. They've had these daily penalty provisions at Southern District of New York courts and said, no, 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 those are void. They're unconscionable. They're, they're not designed to make you whole. They're designed to gorge and gouge the company. Basically, that's, that's, that's what the Southern District of New York does. And a lot of other districts in Massachusetts feel the same way about those types of penalties. Um, so when we sat down with, with uh, Dennis, we kind of reviewed each one of the lenders where they're located, what law would apply, um, who's going to try what. And we had a couple of, right, Dennis? We had, we had one maneuver by one toxic lender who still may think it's working, but we don't think it's going to work for him for too much longer. Um, but uh, Dennis decided that, you know, we have to start. We have to start somewhere. And at that point, one of the toxic lenders had just sued Dark Pulse. This is the this is the case that we have going on in Minnesota right now. And, um, you know, that case, like like all these cases, it's drawn out. It's a lot of litigation, a lot of discovery. Um, you've seen some uh, public disclosures uh, based upon public records. They made a motion to dismiss. We beat them back. They made a motion for summary judgment. They beat them back. We made a motion to compel discovery. The judge agreed with us. He's awarding our attorney's fees uh, to do that. Um, and that's just like a, a microcosm of seven or eight other cases that we're representing Dark Pulse in right now. And, and it's, it's not a, you know, it's not an easy task because these toxic funders have more money than you, than you can possibly imagine. And they're out hiring white shoe law firms from Washington, D.C., wow. from New York City. You know, they're, pay they're paying, you know, huge legal fees to defend themselves because if they get one bad decision, one bad decision on any of these specific um, topics, it could ruin their entire portfolio business and they may not be able to conduct business that way going forward again. That's what we're having right now in the state of New York in the federal court cases with um, the criminal usury statutes. Because remember the convertible note operates that after 180 days under the rule 144 holding period, they can convert out a certain amount of principal and stated interest into stock at a fixed percentage rate discount. So that means if you're trading at a dollar and they get a 30% discount, they're gonna get $100 worth of stock at 70 cents a share. So that's more than 100,000 shares, right? And they'll sell that, drop the price to 80, and now they get a, another, the same fixed discount, say, say it's 30%, to the 80 cent price of the stock. 
So they're getting stock at what? 60 cents, mm-hmm. 58 cents. Yeah. They could drive the price down to 58 cents. Then they'll convert a little bit more principal. And that's called the death spiral. That'll keep happening until they're, until they've completely exhausted under what they think are all the terms under their notes. So, and you know, it's not like we, I haven't taken my lumps, you know, trying to fight this good fight on behalf of my clients and, and their shareholders. I mean, I've had my head handed to me in no less than 11 cases in the Southern District of New York. Every wow. time I said, no, these transactions are criminally usurious, that discount rate is interest by law under New York state law. And they came up with all of these cockamamie excuses to try to save the transaction. No, as soon as you convert, it becomes an equity. It's not a loan subject to usury. No, the discount is too speculative. We can't determine what that amount is. So you can't count it as interest and therefore it's not criminal usurious. So 11 lower court decisions that went against us and said, no, you're wrong. You know, your motion to dismiss is denied. We finally were able to bring two cases up on appeal. Uh, One of those cases, uh, both to the Second Circuit Court of Appeals, one of those cases, the judges on that panel recognized that what we were saying was grounded in law dating back almost 170 years by the New York Court of Appeals, indicating indicating that that option discount is interest. And it, they specifically said, it's not speculative. That's what the trial courts are there to do, to tell you what that discount percentage is equal to in an effective interest rate. And by the way, the mere fact that you converted some of the debt into stock doesn't make it an equity. It's still subject to the criminal usury statutes, right? And this would apply also to Florida, Texas, Massachusetts, California, almost every state that allows corporations to defend themselves or prosecute a criminally usurious transaction. So so finally the second circuit said, you know what, you know, you may be right, but we're not gonna be the ones to tell our 11 11 lower court judges they were wrong. We're gonna punt this over to the New York Court of Appeals who's in the best situation to um, interpret their state legislative laws. So we had to go through a whole briefing schedule, a whole, you know, took another year worth of briefing and tens and tens of thousands of dollars of of effort uh, briefing these things. And in fact, the goal of one of these toxic lenders not involved in the case filed an amicus brief trying to kind of save their business model because they know that if the New York Court of Appeals agreed with us, that every one of their transactions could face the same um, the same ramifications because under New York law, if it's criminally usurious, the loan is void. Mm. That means you lose your interest, all your principal, and under New York law, you cannot seek any equitable remedy. It's prohibited. So it's pretty. It's it's so it's pretty earth shattering. So the New York Court of Appeals just decided these two issues back in October and send it back down to the Second Circuit Court of Appeals. So one of the cases we have under appeal, they vacated the trial court judgment, basically saying New York Court of Appeals spoken, this is New York law, you got it wrong, now you're gonna have to figure out what this Mm -hmm. conversion actually means for effective interest. And 
And spoiler alert, we've already conducted three different models and they far <laughs> exceed New York, New York State's criminal usury threshold of 25% interest. So, wow. yeah, so knowing that and knowing that's applicable, we can apply that under Florida's um, usury statutes in Massachusetts and California. You know, we, we have other companion litigation in those states on the federal securities issue of dealer registration and 10B securities fraud. Um, so it's funny, but it's not funny. Sorry, Dennis, it's really not funny. But it's just funny how it all happened that the timing of that decision in New York uh, with what the SEC has been doing in their securities enforcement actions um, kind of put Dark Pulse on a, a firm, good faith basis footing to not only defend the against the toxic lender in, in Minnesota, but actually to bring several other actions, which Dennis has subsequently done against other toxic lenders. And again, on behalf of the shareholders, um, this isn't something like, oh, I want to prove I'm right or this. Dennis understands that as the CEO is a fiduciary duty to his shareholders. And he, he's told me on numerous occasions that he's got sort of this moral understanding that this is just the right thing to do for his shareholders. And what may happen, I mean, look, I think the collective amount of lawsuits right now we're suing, Dennis is looking to get back between 10 and $15 million for the company. Now imagine if the courts say, you have to give back 10 or $15 million worth of stock, could the court require them to go into the market and buy the stock and return the stock to the company? Possibly. I, I don't think they have a snowball's chance in hell. You know, I don't think that the, the toxic lenders will have the resources to go back and buy millions of dollars of worth of stock because you know what that will do to, to an issue of stock price. It'll send it through the roof. And then the retail traders will have a field day. So I, I think that a likely result, if we're successful, is that they're going to um, issue a money judgment, uh, which represents the value of that stock. And, you know, if after reviewing these things with Dennis, Dennis was like, yeah, you know what? This is something I need to do. Uh, and this is something I want to do. Not because, because, yeah, I'm aggravated, you know, the form of management helped get you into most of this, pro most of these problems, but he's, he's always mentioned um, doing things for the shareholders. And, awesome. you know, he, there, there are a couple of rare CEOs on the OTC markets that really care about their shareholders as much as Dennis does. And this is one reason after reviewing everything he had and our discussions with him, this is one reason why we stepped up to the table to represent Dark Pulse. Amazing. Amazing. Dennis, I'm gonna let you chime in on that. But I, I do want to say I appreciate yeah. you, Mark, for going into that backstory. Right. Because, again, kind of as we were saying on during the pre-show, that part right there wasn't necessarily scripted or wasn't planned. But just having you go through the why, the how and you know the rationale behind the, the collaboration and the working relationship that you have. That's the value in it right there. That's already answered the three main questions that I've got queued up here already right you, you've already addressed the questions that that folks have, have asked but I, I still want to bring them on and Dennis I didn't know if you wanted to uh, comment on, on what uh, Mr. Basil was talking about before I bring up those questions um, yeah I mean that pretty much was the conversation and um, yeah it's I hate to quote a movie but you know it's not personal it's just business and I just felt like we were done dirty and um it's just, again, aside from fiduciary duty, you know, 
anyone could cite that. I, I just felt it was the right thing to do for shareholders. And um, I think everybody understands that about me. Definitely, definitely. Let, at that point, let me bring this up and, and ask you both, gentlemen, this question here from, from RR. Oh, my goodness. Let me make that a little bit smaller. My question for both Dennis and or Gus is Dark Pulse currently trying to fix or get rid of billions of Dark Pulse shares caused by the toxic lenders? There is around three billion Dark Pulse shares. I believe that was kind of already part of the discussion that, that you were having, Mark. But again, I'm going to put that out there for you guys. Yeah, uh, kind of like what Mark said. I mean, that's always been Dennis's goal. Um, Dennis has always been for the shareholders, always, always trying to put himself in their shoes and um, and do always do what's best for the company. Uh, obviously, he, he understands the ramifications that, that have happened because of the because of a lot of the toxic debt that the company ended up taking on. And um, and of course, that that's always going to be the goal, right, is, is to get all of the toxic debt off the books, uh, whether it be by taking those shares back, like Mark said, either having those lenders buy those shares back or obtaining a money judgment worth the value of, of whatever stock that they took. Um, so yeah, that that's uh, that's that's the goal, absolutely. Awesome, awesome. Two more questions I wanted to bring up from Senior Miss Val. If the court does not rule for full disclosure of pattern selling by a company, how else can you prove dumping could be taking place? So um, I think that uh, I'll kind of try and uh, respond to that in the best way that we can. Um, a lot of the claims that we assert aren't necessarily in relation to dumping or market market manipulation. We've done it before. We've done it in the past. Um, but we we feel like, uh, and I've, I've said this on other podcasts before. I'm not sure if I've, I've spoke to you about this, James, but um, it's a lot harder to state a claim for market manipulation. Any kind of claims under, under 10B-5, uh, under Rule 10B-5 or under Section 10B under the, under the Act are a lot harder to state only because they have that heightened pleading standard. So we always feel it's best to advise our clients to go after that lower pleading standard where we know we can win. We know what these people do. And I'm going to get into that later um, using Edgar and how we figure out whether uh, whether a lender is an unregistered dealer or not, or whether they're acting as a dealer. And we know that they're not registered uh, via broker check or some other kind of FINRA mechanism. And um, so we feel like we can achieve those same kind of goals that our clients have uh, without necessarily alleging or proving market manipulation or somebody dumping stock. Of course, in, if we're in the position where, uh, for example, a client calls us on a random afternoon and says, hey, we see a, we see a sell, sale order on for 150 million shares. And that's going to just, it's just going to really overtake the market, really influence the market in a way that obviously our client doesn't want it to then we'll take action. And that might be necessary for a different kind of analysis uh, to get, let's say, a TRO or some kind of injunctive relief. Um, but generally, that's not not a necessary element uh, for our regular claims. Hopefully that answers uh, answers that question. Okay. Okay. Appreciate that. I'll bring one more question before we move on. Uh, again, from the same person. What makes an unregistered dealer appeal to companies versus a registered dealer? Uh, so that's interesting. Uh, Mark, feel free to add to this if you want, but I don't think, uh, I don't think that's really the appeal. No one's saying, Oh, look, let's, let's go to the unregistered dealer. 
like Mark said, it's like crack cocaine. I mean, they're, they're, they're wiring money in two days. No one's checking if they're a dealer, if they're not a dealer. Uh, they just know they can get money in two days and it's going to be pretty much no strings attached or what, what the company may seem to believe is no strings attached until 181 days later. And they, they submit a conversion notice for $3 million worth of stock off of a $40,000 loan. Right. So it's not like we're, we're looking for unregistered dealers or we're looking for registered dealers. We're looking for money, right? The company's looking for money and the way they're going to get that money is by somebody who can give it to them fast and the people that give it to them fast are these under, unregistered dealers. Uh, Mark, I think you might might want to add to that a little yeah, bit. Yeah, like yeah. The if you're dealing with a registered dealer, the registered dealer is subject to a lot of oversight by Finra and the SEC. Mm-hmm. So, so they're they're constrained with regard to certain types of lending instruments they can loan. They have to follow uh, certain regulations. They have to, they have to deal with compliance uh, with FINRA and the SEC. They have to file disclosures. Um, and a lot of these unregistered dealers um, don't do that. You know, that's why their, their conversion discount rate is much higher, their percentage discount. Uh, that's why they have in their documents what's called a blocker. It's usually at 4.99% because anything over 5% of a company's stock that you acquire, you have to report on, on, a, on an SEC filing. So what these guys do, these unregistered dealers, they fly under the radar. You can see just in the loan documents how they want to avoid reporting, but they also want to avoid, uh, avoid the oversight by FINRA. Um, and so the appeal for going with unregistered dealers is they can close really quick. I think, re- you know, I've dealt with a few registered dealers and transactions and their process is much slower because they have a lot of compliance on their back end that they're going to have to explain why they did this transaction why it's these terms or whatever and they're within their uh their compliance field for finra right and registered dealers also have a compliance officer in-house that that communicates regularly with finra back and forth in the sec so you know, um, Ms. Val or whoever she was, um, there, there is an incentive for more questionable OTC market companies to constantly go back to the well and, and use these convertible notes from unreg- unregistered dealers versus from registered dealers because the process takes much longer. And some, you know, companies are desperate for cash nowadays, right? Right. So hope that, that answers her question. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. And again, folks, if you have a question for the panel, please put a cue in front of it so I can uh, put that in the in the in the queue and I can bring that to their attention. Dennis, I, w- I want to position a question to you specifically, just based off the conversation that we've had. Look, you you've gone through the mud. You, you've gone through some hard times, right? Just with with the Dark Pulse acquisition being part of who you are and where you are now with the organization, the litigation that's happening, but. As I started out in saying when I introduced you, you're doing some good work. And I, I think talking about the activities that are going on within your organization, I, I'd love to just hear you talk about, again, some of the, maybe some of the initiatives that you've either signed or dealt with, non, of, nothing that's non-disclosable, of course, but in any dealings that, that you've had that, that you can 
talk to the folks who are either financially associated from a shareholder perspective or just interested in the company and interested in the technology. I, again, third person remove. I'm just interested in the technology. I utilize what you've built. Again, I've already told that story a few minutes ago about how my family utilizes that bridge. So I'm, I'm just selfishly interested in, in Dark Pulse. And I think this is a great segue for you to say, again, You've, you've had these litigation issues. You've, you've had these problems. You've, you've got shareholders on the line right now who are asking questions and are getting answers. But what's next, right? What, what, what are you doing today and tomorrow to, to continue to propel the company forward? Yeah, sure. And unfortunately, litigation has to be part of that, that plan mm. as well, too. And um, I, I always like to say, and shareholders know, my main thing is, you know, I, I don't bluff. And um, in the instance of the, the Twitter litigation, going after, you know, not just people that post FUD, but things that people are damaging the reputation of the company and damaging the shareholders. So that's the focus. It's, it's you know, when you say personally about myself or anybody in the company, it's when you cross that line to either libel or you're trying to manipulate stock price by writing these negative false narratives that's when I'm going to come after you. So it's nothing personal. It's, you know, it's the business that we're all working hard to grow and to protect the shareholders. So anytime that comes up, you can 100% guarantee I'm coming after you. Uh, so just want to make that clear. On the business side of things, you know, I, I joked before we started, I, I don't have um, jet lag because I, you know, I sleep two or three hours a day. Um, it's, pushed in 2 a.m. here in Cairo. And, um, you know, I, I do whatever is necessary to get this thing um, successful. And again, you look over the 12 months, you know, six acquisitions or five acquisitions, you know, but Dark Pulse Canada is, is also subsidiary. So seven companies, we have revenues. We did like close to 4 million, on, you know, in the six weeks, um, you know, period of when we acquired the other companies. We continue to drive towards revenue. We continue to create revenues. Um, we have the Smart Bridge project. Again, that I wanted to just get out there as you know something I could point to that's real in the market. Uh, and um, you know, it, it's actually helped quite a bit. Um, I'm in Cairo. Uh, we're you know talking to what's going to be really a cutting edge AI driven uh, resort, very high end resort. Uh, and, uh, and part of the process is installing our sensor technology, but then also being an integrator. Uh, and we're working with Siemens on this project where mm. we can help integrate multiple systems into one user interface. Uh, and that includes the proprietary stuff that we've been working on. So this is, you know, really pushing us towards, I guess, our first, you know, major project for Dark Pulse itself. Uh, and like I say, you know, it's a 20 hour a day process, right? Where you're either all in or, you know, it's just not happening, right? I love it. Um, I love but, it. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I need a haircut because they've been on the road for nine weeks. <laughs> I haven't been home for nine weeks. <laughs> well, and, you know, so. Well, I've, I've seen some of your Twitter feed and, and you, you'll land home, you'll, you'll, you'll repack a bag and then you'll turn back around and, and you'll go on to the next place. So uh, I think. Um, yeah. That due diligence, that that focus, that concerted, always moving forward for the you're the company and for your shareholders. I must say that is is summed up in this message right here. 
Uh, Atreya Trey says that I can read people like a book. You have a beautiful soul. Where does this caring nature come from? Right. Again, because you wouldn't do what you do, be away from your family, be away from your friends, be and and only be focusing on, on these activities if it, if it wasn't innate to you. Right. Again, you, you almost can't teach that. Just the fact that you stepped into this role, knowing again that there were some 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 issues to deal with, but you, you saw the promise and you, you saw you see the promise of the technology and, and, and where it is today and where it's going. Again, is that is that something that you think you got from family, got from friends, got got from education? Just, just what what makes Dennis O'Leary Dennis O'Leary, I guess. Let me ask that. Yeah. Yeah, um, no, definitely. Definitely my family. Um, yeah, I, I, and, and it was funny, my parents were very entrepreneurial as well. And, um, I, you know, I guess this work ethic that kind of got, you know, driven into me. But um, I always try to do the right thing. And um, part of it, too, you know, eight years NYPD. Uh, and I've always done the right thing. I, I've never heard a person, uh, you know, when I was a police officer. And uh, I always protected the working man. You know, that's how I always viewed it. And um, so, you know, I, th I think it's a combination of growing up in it. And, um, you know, like I say, years working, you know, New York City. But um, that's too cool. Yeah. That's too cool. Uh, I'm going to let you go to sleep. But I, I mean, I, I can see it in your eyes. And he's fading, right? Mark, you see it, right? It, it's it's 2 a.m. He's got dogs barking. He, he's got <laughs> very comfortable couches behind him. Uh, in, in a minute, I'm gonna let you. I'm a, I got two more questions for you, but then we're we're, we're gonna cut you off, man. <laughs> um, oh yeah, I, I'm noticing my battery. I have to there, see. There, there we go. Right there. There we go. So let me let me bring this up. If there are state limits on interest rates, how are some rates by credit cards over 36 percent still legal, and does that have any correlation to predatory loan interest rates? I think that's a question more for Mark and or or Gus. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of um, there, there's an exemption for federally insured banks. Um, uh, you know, banks are allowed to charge rates in excess of the state usury limit levels. Um, however, there are limits. Um, you ever hear of payday lending? Uh, mm. The New York Attorney General, as well as the uh, uh, New York uh, City DA's office, has brought multiple uh, cases against payday lenders. Um, who are not national banks, who are not exempt under the state usury laws uh, for such actions. But, you know, the national banks can charge, you know, over the statutory limits. Um, what we're talking about as far as predatory loans to small businesses, um, those predatory loans, these, these, these funds, these toxic lenders are not national banks. Mm. So... So they, they fall squarely within the um, the state usury laws. So that, that that it is a difference. I mean, look, I look at my credit card statement all the time and I'm like, you know, I get sick. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that's that's just how it goes. Um, that's why everybody's looking for a lower interest rate. And there's, you know, all these different cards. Um, but uh, as far as the, the corporations are concerned, no, the the states, the state usury limits apply unless corporations aren't allowed to avail themselves of the state usury laws. That's, that's state by state. Makes sense. By state by state. Makes sense. Makes sense. And then Dennis's last question before we uh, let you go, sir, 
because it kind of relates to something you already talked about, right? And again, it says when we see the first loss, when will we see the first lawsuit against individual social media manipulators, fake news spreaders? I know our legal team is collecting information against them. And again, it's kind of like you were saying, right? Someone's out there creating and, and spreading fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Yeah, watch out because we're coming for you, kind of thing. So I, I'll leave that to you to answer specifically, though. Dennis, do you want to answer that one? Or? Yeah, I, I mean, it's hard to say a timeline. Yeah. Yeah, I don't yeah, think there's a good timeline for something like that. I think it's kind of when we see the opportunity, we're going to. We're going to take it. Obviously, we do everything we can as um, the attorneys that are retained to protect the company from things like that. Um, we've obviously taken some action. We've publicized, um, such as like, you know, petitioning for the identity of certain bashers and and people taking stands or positions against especially Dark Pulse. Um, but there's, there's really no way to tell when, when it's going to be the perfect time. We actually have a solid case against one of these bashers. Uh, but, but it's definitely, uh, it should definitely be known that like, if there is that opportunity is presented, then it's mm -hmm. out of all of our clients, Dennis is going to be the person to step up and, and take action for sure. Yeah. And you know, it's what a lot of people don't realize that sometimes the toxic debt goes hand in hand with the bashers that are killing you. Um, the bashers are trying to lower the stock price for whatever reason, whether they're paid, they're connected, they want to make out as a retail investor. But the, the lower the price drops, the more stock these convertible note holders are going to get when they convert into the stock, when they convert their debt. <clears throat> but I can tell you, when's the first lawsuit? Well, we started with, with focusing on one handle. <clears throat> we have about 21 handles under investigation right now, and not just on Twitter. It's on StockTwits, iHub, very, a lot of different multiple platforms. We're working with an outside corporate surveillance and intelligence group right now that's collecting data, formulating uh, charts for us. Um, we, we will probably meet with Dennis once every couple of weeks to go over that, who are the biggest violators are. Um, and they're, they're comparing you know, time and dates of posts with chart activity with the companies, stock trading. So, you know, you can run, but you're not going to hide. Oh, so I would suggest I that everybody that. stop flooding and stop bashing. Um, you know, if, if you have specific information based upon public disclosures, you really should uh, engage in a meaningful discussion on social media platforms instead of using it for, you know, either, you know, personal vendetta, um, which... We'll cross the line at some point. We already have three posters we feel have already crossed that line. Um, we're working on the other 18 right now. Um, and we're collecting data, not just now, but we're going back, you know, a year and a half uh, when a lot of this crap started. So, again, you know, if they think they're above the law, we can't find out who they are. Guess again, because we already found out one and, uh, and we're going to find out everybody else. And if they think that there's freedom of speech, well, you know, you cry fire once, it's okay. You cry uh, fire uh, twice, it's okay. Go you ahead. cry fire the third time, you are going to get arrested. So uh, there, there's a certain pattern and activity and repetition that raises to the level of this is no longer free speech. You're going you're gonna to get whacked. So that's what we say in New York anyway. You're going to get love, whacked. I, I, I love, listen, I'm going to make sure I keep all three of you on my good side. Listen, I, you know, this is just no, a conversation... I, 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 I'm sorry, go ahead. 
Oh, I was just going to mention, I, I green-lighted one account already. So they'll, they'll be hearing very, very well, they, shortly, I'll put it that way. I, I, oh, I, yeah. I, wonder, I wonder if they're on this on this chat here right now. Well, we, we won't go into that. Let, check this out. <laughs> Being cognizant of time, notice, knowing again that it's 2 o'clock in the morning, but knowing that this conversation is continuing to evolve with some fantastic questions, I, I really think that there should be or there could be another segment to this. Then it's when you have a more stable Internet connection, when you have at least four hours worth of sleep, on the body when you've got another cup of coffee, that that kind of thing. A number of questions have come in, but again, I'm gonna table those. I know, I know you can see the comments as well. So if, if there was something that you wanted to respond to briefly or just uh, in, in parting, if you could just tell the folks uh, again, where they can reach you in terms of the things that are going on with the company, and then we can pick it up at, at another time when you have a, a more stable technology connection. Um, yeah. Um I, I think it's just the lighting. Uh, I'm actually doing, I'm okay to stay if you need me. Um, but I, I guess more importantly, in terms of the, some of the toxic notes, you know, the, if you read the, um, the filings, we've taken those out of cash. So there's not this mass of toxic notes that are ready to convert. Those have been cleaned out. Um, we went with an S3 and an S1 filing. Uh, that's a little bit the con more controlled by the, country, by the company. Uh, to try to reduce, you know, downward pressure on the stock, and that's the whole idea. Um, we just filed again that um, we're looking at an acquisition, so we have uh, an M&A company to advise us on position. Um, some much better types of financing, uh, and, um, and we're also working towards, uh, you know, an uplisting to a national exchange, and um, I, I guess it's a stay tuned on, on that. Uh, but, you know, a lot of good things have lined up. Like I said, we, we operate in 10 countries now. We have about 300 employees. Uh, we went from zero revenue to nearly $4 million in revenue. And, um, you know, the whole idea is to continue driving the company, looking at more key acquisitions, and again, making this run for an uplist into an, an actual trading platform. So those are all in the, sh in, in the queue to steal your word. <laughs> awesome. Uh, and, and I think just from what you just said about the, the future potential of being uplisted, um, I'm looking at a question that came here, like from Chris Wood, right? He was talking about where do you kind of guesstimate and see the price, the stock price today or in the future? It's very hard to say, right? I, I mean, you've got the Batman vision, right? But, but you don't have to have the Superman goggles, right? I, yeah. I, I stole that from you, brother, right? I mean, but, uh, I mean James... James, yeah. legally, he shouldn't answer that question. Exactly. Because so, we have no, we, we have no idea what the stock performance is going to look like tomorrow, a year from now, or whatever. You know, exactly. if anything, it's just pure speculation. It's yeah. really not fair. I mean, it's a great question, and everybody wants to know that, and that's fine. And if we could answer it, you know, I'd say, go ahead, Dennis, answer it. But as Dennis's lawyer, I would suggest yeah. he doesn't answer that. <laughs> No, I, I, I wouldn't speculate anyway. I mean, I'm in the company daily and I I couldn't judge what the price is going to be, you know. Um, I put now press release and been surprised that they had no effect on the stock. So I'm probably the last person that, right? But um, I mean, I can tell you putting in the time, obviously, in the work. Def definitely and, putting um, in the time and, and the work. Look at yeah. the last yeah, I mean, look at this one again. Zero revenue, and it's, you know, shareholders' equity now, and you know, continuing to drive. So, here awesome. 
Awesome. Pre- I mean, it's, it's almost like I don't want to go off of the top. Gus, the stuff you got to talk about is important too, right? But, you know, we got we got this guy who's on like 30% left of his phone battery. He's 5,000 miles away. And, you know, we, we got him. We, we might as well keep keep uh, keep him going. But yeah, um, I'm here. Oh, I mean, if I'm good. You know, I, I mean, I know there's a lot of burning questions. I mean, I'd like to be able to answer. I, I, I have to sneak over and plug back in if that's okay. I, t- I tell you what, let, let's let's do this. Let, let's let you do that. Go get a five-minute cat nap and pull you off screen. <laughs> I'm going to let Gus go into oh, yeah. his uh, Edgar, in. Edgar 101 <laughs> conversation. because. Yeah, yeah. I th- because again, I think that that's valuable as well. So, guys, I, I hate to put you on the spot like that, but you know. So, so yeah, let, let's transition to that, folks. Keep the questions coming because again, I'm gonna put them in the queue, and if we can't answer them tonight, we will definitely answer them next time when we do. If I am fortunate enough to have these gentlemen on the on the panel and to have this discussion, it's been incredibly enlightening, right? Everything that that Marcus said, everything that Dennis has said, was probably something that you weren't expecting to hear, right? Just the transparency. Right. I th- and I think that's what's most valuable in terms of what we've talked about for this last 40 minutes or so. So that being said, Gus, talk to us a little bit about what you got to show for us today. Yeah, of course. Um, and, uh, and James, don't ever worry about putting me in the spotlight. I am uh, I'm ready for it. I'm, I'm always I'm asking. Sure Mark's, for Mark's done it, uh, you know, daily. I'm sure he, he puts his. Yeah. Oh, you know, you know what? Actually, it's funny. Uh, on Monday, it was yesterday. We were talking about uh, in our meeting, we were talking about who's going to court for something. And both me and Mark simultaneously said, I am. And he trained you well. I was like, no, you're not. I'm going. <laughs> you know, oh, like nice. I, I'm all for it. Um, but anyway, so I guess, uh, so Edgar, if you want to, um, you could pull up my screen that I'm sharing, James. I'm awesome. ready for, uh, for that to be shared. Um, so for those who don't know, I just Googled this, so I'm not a genius. So Edgar stands for Electronic Data Gathering Analysis Retrieval System. It's where you can find basically every SEC filing, anything that has to do with more or less any company. You Google it, um, just type in SEC Edgar or just type in the, uh, it's sec.gov forward slash Edgar forward, forward slash search. And then you're going to come up with this homepage, right? Uh, generally, what you're going to do is you're going to type in a company, or you don't always have to type in a company. You can search by keywords, date range, just like basically any other search engine. Um, types of filings. There's a whole bunch of filters and uh, and operators you could use. Um, I know I promised looking up. GTII, global tech industries. So that's what I'm going to do first. That's one way you could search. You could search uh, just by looking at the ticker. If you do that, it's going to show, it's going to bring up every single filing, every 8K, 10K, 10Q, S1, S3, anything. Um, what I really wanted to focus on was what. Uh, or I guess how shareholders could kind of help their CEOs or I guess reach out to their CEOs and let them know or identify what's bad and what could be taken care of and, and, and what, 
what are some things on a financial statement that might be able to be resolved and, and end up uh, and help the company get into a better position. So there's obviously a few ways you do this. Um, what's, what a good, good general rule, I guess, would be is, for example, type in uh, an instrument that is likely to be toxic or illegal. And what I mean by that is it might be illegal based on the terms because it's usurious, or it might be illegal because of the entity that issued the security uh, and because that entity is, a, an, is, is an unregistered dealer, let's say, right? Um, so GTII did a little bit of research on my own. I know that they definitely have a convertible debenture somewhere in one of their filings that they mentioned. Right? So I'm going to look up convertible debenture. It's mentioned all of these times in this company's filings. We pull up a 10Q and go through all of the terms that you're looking at. So you see it here in their balance sheet. What we're going to look for is the terms of the venture, which you're going to see in their statement, right? So here is where you'll see the day the company executed it, the principal amount, the stated interest. And this is what's really important, right? So you're gonna see the stated interest, 10% interest per annum. That's 10% interest a year. It means they're charging 10% interest on this principal value of $74,800. And now is where it could get interesting, whether it's in terms of uh, the issuer, or I'm sorry, the lender being an understood dealer or the lender being uh, issuing these loans based on usurious terms. This is pretty common, like a pretty common disclosure. Included a conversion right to be exercised anytime 180 days after execution of the note. That's obviously because of Rule 144. They're going to meet that exemption for unregistered securities. They're going to be able to tack back to the date of the date of execution, which is November 27th of 2020. So, you know, 180 days after the execution of this note, there's going to be newly issued shares in the market. You're going to see an increase in volume. The retail shareholder is not going to know what's going on unless you look into these kinds of financial statements, which is probably why we get a lot of feedback or a lot of uh, a lot of engagement on our social media is saying that there is manipulation going on, there's naked shorting going on. It's, it might not be naked shorting, especially if they can cover their positions with something like conversion. So seeing the conversion feature, the conversion right or conversion option, conversion feature, they might disclose it, disclose it in, a, in a slightly different way depending on the company and depending on their Exchange Act counsel. It's really not material. All you need to know is that there's there's a conversion feature in this note, in this debenture, in this loan, whatever kind of uh, security it might be, and that right here, convert, convertible into common stock of the company at 75% of the market price. What does that mean? That's a 25% discount to market. That means for every dollar of stock that they're, uh, every dollar of debt that they're converting into common stock, they're only paying 75 cents for it. As you can tell, that alone is, I think that's a 50% uh, return on that, that debt, 
which is a 50%, at least a 50% uh, interest charge. Uh, that's not including any of the stated interest that's actually accruing on the debt that's outstanding. Um, that being said, right there alone, you're at 50%. Uh, right there, that's usurious. And I think every single state in the country, if I'm not mistaken, don't hold me on that. Um, it's more than double in the state of New York, as long as you include the stated interest. And once you're more than double, you're exposing, the lender's exposing itself to RICO liability, potential RICO liability. Um, you can see even more interest here. Here's an original issue discount, which means this is a withholding, which means that they are subtracting that 6,800 from this 748 right off the top. And basically when that happened, it's called retained interest. And what will happen is that you consider the interest based on actually the net funding amount. So in this case, 6,800 minus 7,400. I went to public school. I'm really bad at math. Um, <laughs> somewhere around, I guess, 68 grand, right? And uh, so now you would charge that principal amount to the net funding amount which would just make the interest more offensive, which in this case we don't even need to do because we've already hit that 50% threshold with the conversion discount alone. I'm gonna add 10% onto that, we're at 60%. And now if we calculate this, who knows what we'll be, but we're gonna be at even worse than 60%, which is more than enough. And I think, like I said, every state of the country, um, of course, absent the states that don't have usury laws, um, which is are few and far between, but, uh, but they exist. And, uh, and this is, this is really the, uh, I think this is kind of, this says a lot, especially in terms of what might happen to a company stock, what might, what might happen in the future to their issued outstanding shares. Um, like I said, if you know that there's some kind of convertible security on the books, there, in 180 days, there's going to be more common stock issued outstanding. Um, and and it, it's almost guaranteed. Because another thing that they'll do is that these lenders will do is they'll impose uh, prepayment penalties. So in the event that they that the that the borrower or the company does want to prepay, they're going to pay a penalty for it. So most likely they're not going to pay that penalty and they're going to let that uh, debt mature and allow the the lender to convert, which will inevitably dilute and uh, and and cause. Uh, and, and will, is what will reflect or be reflective of that increased volume that a lot of these lenders might see or a lot of retail traders might see on the markets. Um, that's more or less pretty much everything I wanted to cover. Um, anything more than that is probably going to get a little bit too confusing. I saw a bunch of comments and questions come in. Um, maybe we can go through some of those. Yeah. I mean, I guess my, my question, again, third person looking in, and I think for, I'm, I'm going to call it the people sitting in the back of the room, right? Like like me. Um, regular investors having access to Edgar. Is is that, that's plausible, right? We have access to Oh, Edgar. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. If you want me to, uh, here, uh, you want to share my screen again? I could show that. Um, I'll just go to Google and kind of show how you get there from Google. See, I'll ask the questions that people will think are, are dumb. Yeah, yeah. I, sure. I don't mind. So it's right here. It's open to everybody. Uh, a little bit of a different page, but 
it's going to. Why is this in here? There it was. Sorry, I clicked on the wrong link first. So it's this one. SCC.gov, Edgar, search and ad access. Awesome. Thank you. And Edgar, full search, and now you're here. And like I said, you can search either by company. What I do, what, you know, what we'll do, um, like I said, to, to evident or to show a significant amount of like buying and selling activity is we'll search right by lender. Whoever we're in litigation against, we're going to type that name in. And then instead of uh, a certain company's disclosures coming up, we're going to see every time that lender was disclosed in a certain filing. If you look uh, as of recently, you're going to notice that, uh, especially in the GTI, GTII uh, scenario, in that example, it said that that convertible debenture was taken out with a the corporation. These lenders know exactly what they're doing, and they want to make sure that they're not disclosed in these companies' filings. So they'll make sure that the, the company won't disclose the name of the lender that has that note. They'll just disclose that the lender, that the, the company took out a note with a company or with a corporation or with an LLC, for example, which is a, an interesting thing. I just realized that only a couple of weeks ago, actually. But it's uh, like Mark was saying before, it's these guys will make sure that they are doing anything they can to stay ahead of the curb. And if they need to manipulate something or change something a little bit and, uh, along the way and, and make uh, make it that much harder to for somebody to kind of chase them down and and uh, and prove something against them, they're going to throw every single roadblock and mess and, and try and uh, throw every kind of wrench that they can into into what's going on. So. Awesome. Again, speaking to the value of having proper litigation, especially when you're CEO, when your firm working uh, out out there in in the in the industry, we we have either hit the big time or or we got someone who looks like we got the Federal Bureau of Investigation here, uh, or at least someone who has got that name and and got that that emblem. So we're we're making a wave. So you know, Hicks do Media, Basil uh, Law Firm. And, and and dark pulse have, have reached to and it's either a good thing or it's a bad thing. I'm a, and I'm a, I'm gonna leave it at that. But I, I see someone who was logged in as the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Uh, I, I do want to ask a couple of other questions, Dennis, since you're still here and you got your 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 system logged uh, plugged in and, and you got a better connection. It looks like because again, it looks like these were questions that were geared towards you. So I want to take advantage and utilize your time, sir. Um, it's from Jack Cunningham. When do you plan on starting the share buyback announced a while back? And why not start it when the stock was cheaper? Because I don't think we will see DPLS that low again. Yeah, I mean, I get a lot of questions. It, it's hard to, uh, to really discuss the buyback because it's so heavily regulated, more regulated than any other action. Because, you know, we could be also accused of manipulating the stock, right? If we're saying we're going to buy box shares at a certain price or so, you have to be really careful. This, I, I, I was going to say system, but the buyback was approved by the SEC. We did all the proper filings. And it, it's just going to come down to putting money into play and deciding what's the right action. Uh, it's either maybe taking some debt off the books or it's the share buyback or, you know, it's kind of like a case by case basis. Um, so I, it's really hard to give insight to that Makes sense. without um, maybe crossing the line. So it's a little hard to answer. Um, Makes sense. Makes sense. But, you know, it's in play. 
say that. I'm sure. It, it was it was put in there in good faith. Is really what it was. It's a it's a mechanism we look to utilize, uh, but I can't really hint at what we're going to do with that. Um, I'm I'm just going to say third person looking at it again. Just the fact that we the question was brought up and you stated that it's still in play, right? It's not something that has been swept swept under the rug. Sure. Then I think that will answer again. I I can't speak for for the investors or anything of that nature, but that that's just a. The confidence that you're still working on, and so at least we were able to broach the the conversation. So, and then for Mr. Basil, you know, any way we can rush dark pullers quote court, because every day we wait, it's hurting us. We need quicker courts results because there is no guarantee dark pulls will recover from the first fire effort. And that that's a that's an interesting question, right? And again, only you, Mr. Basil, can answer that question. I guess at this time. <laughs> Well, look, you never you never know what a court's position is going to be, what position they're going to take on any certain issues. Mm. Um, you can expedite certain processes, um, but you have to have the right set of facts and the right circumstances and relying on the right law to do that. Um, right now, we should have some activity in that first fire case, uh, I think, in the next um, week or two. Um, and once the public filings are in that case, you'll be able to better determine how much longer this case is going to last. Um, you know, we're, we don't expect any of these cases to wrap up quickly other than maybe the case in Minnesota, uh, because th that case is in its last, um, lap of a, you know, five lap race. And, um, you know, we're going to be making a couple of motions in that case case to dispose of that case uh, relatively soon. Um, in the other cases, these things have a life of their own. It's up to the judge. It's up to the opposing party. Um, so I really can't, we really can't say, other than I can tell you, your sense of urgency is not lost on myself, nor is it lost on Dennis. Um, Dennis would like to get these things done and out of the way as soon as possible, because he has much bigger fish to fry. Uh, he has got much big, bigger deals to to work on, um, and uh, you know we're we're just trying to to clear the brush for him right now, so we can clear the pathway for him uh, to do a lot of things, actually to do everything he wants to do. So, awesome! Thank you very much. One last question here, and it, it, they've asked a question twice, so I'm I, I, I even want to know because I'm compelled to hear it, and um, I don't I don't know what ehab is but at treyu trades is asking talk about the second trip to egypt and the legend ehab is that is that am i saying that correctly yeah, yeah that's um probably I an in, in, insider insider part, bit yeah. of okay a little insider information there okay. yeah so i mean ehab he owns eemw and um we just signed a joint venture agreement with them we're creating an egyptian company and uh, we're going after the infrastructure market in Egypt. And um, the, the question is the, the relationship, I think. I, I met Ehab about 10 years ago up in uh, Canada at a government-sponsored event. And we've been in and out of touch over the last decade. And um, really since the, the president of Egypt came in about, two, oh, about three years ago, he's just been on a tear in terms of rebuilding and renewing Egypt. And uh, they have 17 smart cities related to be built. Um, I'm pretty much just outside of New Cairo. 
uh, where again they're building this massive city for you know over five million people are going to live there. Uh, so just the opportunity was here, the timing was right, and uh, we put together a joint venture. And um, I've been in Egypt for the last two weeks, and yeah, Ehab and I have been just lighting the town on fire in terms of business. I love it. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Folks, this has been 75, almost 80 minutes of fire, right? <laughs> I mean, I mean, again, you're, you're not going to get this panel, this mind share, I, I think, in, in a lot of places. And to still have the majority of folks that I think started with us uh, when, when we went online to still be on with us at this time. So, I, I mean, I, I, I take it that that means that this conversation resonated with the community. So we will continue to have these types of discussions. Again, Gus, always look forward to having you on. You know, again, I'm, I'm calling it the Edgar 101 and, and that background that you gave there, just again, for, for us, like I say, sitting in the back of the room, having that insight, that was incredibly valuable. Mark was still, look, I mean, this, this guy right here talking about, he doesn't come on and do a lot of interviews, but when we turned the lights on and, and passed him the microphone, just the floodgates of information were just amazing. So wanted to say publicly, sir, thank you for that insight. Thank you for that information. And just thank you for uh, what it is that you and your firm are doing. Right? I can tell again, that's just definitely the good work. So appreciate you also for joining tonight. Uh, thank you. Dennis O'Leary. Oh, dude, I, I it's kind of like I want to hang out with this guy. Right. Because you, the, the work that you're doing, I mean, it just, it just sounds so, so refreshing. It, it sounds so relevant. And again, thank you for also taking the time out of your busy schedule. I know, again, it's 2 a.m., 2.30 a.m., whatever the case may be, where you are locally right now and pausing and, and coming on and having this conversation with, with my audience uh, is, is incredibly uh, refreshing, incredibly valuable. I would love to, again, like I said earlier, have you back on so we can recapture some of these questions that are still coming in when you're at a different stage uh, of the organization, a different stage of some of the projects, different stages of some of the, of the litigation activities as well, right? And just talk about some of the goodness that's happening. So I'm going to put, put that out there. And you, you don't have to answer. I'm not going to put you on the spot right now, but uh, just put that out there. Yeah. I was going to invite you because I'm headed to LA. I'll be there on Sunday for the Oscars. So and I'm at an after party. I, I just uh, left. I just left San Diego. I, I can book a flight in like two minutes, right? Let, there let, you we, go. I'm gonna email you uh, some information and get you on the guest list if you like to come down. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I appreciate you. I appreciate you for that, uh, Trey. You, I appreciate you as well for yeah. for that super chat. Appreciate the support, community. Look, this is what we do, right? If you found value in this conversation by having Basil Law Firm by having Dark Pulse on as a conversation, let somebody know. Right. Again, we, we, we're speaking at the 35,000 foot level about just again the relationship of having proper representation uh, for for organizations and the value of that. Dennis Larry went into some specifics in terms of what he's doing with the organization as well. So hopefully you found value in that. Gentlemen, be good to yourself and I will talk to each of you soon. Dennis, I'll see you on the red carpet. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. All right, you guys, thank be well. Time. Take care. Soon.